episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Uh, it's been a while. I, I'm still Mike One. Uh, the guy that's been manning the ship over the last couple uh, my absence the last couple days has been also Mike, and, and he's here. And uh, Mike, what are we talking about today? Well, first of all, we should talk about how I did as Mike Number One <laughs> during your absence. I think I did pretty well. You did. You did. You, got, you and Andrew, whenever you guys collaborate, in all sincerity, I think you guys are really you have a good chemistry together, and I really enjoy what you guys put forth and put on the table every time. That was wild. Yeah, that was wild how that happened. I know you had a scare with your dog. I'm so happy. Shocky is okay. You're a beautiful doggy there, for the most part. Okay. dog, like you said, yeah. <laughs> the doggy has a lot of invested in it yes. at this stage with the veterinarians, but uh, <laughs> they did great work once again, so very happy and uh, relieved in many ways. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff happens in the movie world since you and I last talked, and uh, certainly Tenet has been in the middle of it all, Mike. Uh, you have been predicting that this was not going to happen this summer, yeah. period. And then I can go back months from now. You know, you've been predicting this. That being said, you're a bit of a town crier, and you're kind <laughs> of a negative guy. Bit of an alarmist. Bit of an alarmist. Yeah, no, def- definitely. Def- no, you're, you're tough to, you know, talk to about uh, politics sometimes. But Yeah. And everything's being politicized. But you, you did forecast this for a long time. Tenant will not be released stateside on August 12th. AMC today says, says they're delaying its reopening in part because of this. Uh, we have an international release, likely an international distribution for Tenant, Mulan, other features. That's probably going to happen first. I don't know if they're going to piecemeal U.S. releases like they said today with Bill and Ted Face to Music, where that's going to come on PVOD, where the theaters aren't open, and that's going to hit select theaters where it is safe to do so. So what do you think of this whole deal with Tenet? Uh, For me, you know, I will toot my own horn. It's not unexpected, any of it. And I think one of the last things I said like two or three weeks ago was we're getting to the point where we have to analyze and wb is going to have to think about what an international release well before the u.s release means there's a lot of things that go into that um obviously the the biggest movie chains and theater chains still uh, they want tenant even if it does just get released internationally first because some money is better than no money there's still safeguards in the way of that happening right now we know tenants uh runtime is kind of long and we know China especially which is one of the major markets internationally if they were to release they're going to want to be up and running at 100% capacity uh, or at least as close to 100% as they can. China right now is saying they're not going to show any movies over two hours in length and Tenet is over two hours in length so I don't think even if the international rollout goes first it's going to happen anytime soon. I think we're still probably a month away minimum three weeks from a month away uh, from that happening. My concern with rolling out internationally is the same concern I've had all along, and it's not really a concern. It's just more of an intrigue on my end. How are American audiences going to like the film being available so long before they can get their hands on it? How are they going to react to spoilers, which are inevitably going to release online? How are they going to react to piracy? How are the studios going to safeguard against these things, if they are at all? Uh, Those are the questions I have moving forward that I think is going to be quite interesting, especially just from a social uh, network standpoint to keep an eye on and see what happens with. It'll be kind of fun to watch how that plays out. I know a bunch of our international listeners have gone back at you on Twitter. With yeah, that which finally, yeah, again, yeah. I don't, 
I have no qualms about any American. Like, I, I'm not, oh my God, America has to be first, and why aren't we getting this? And this is, a, I don't care. I think it's funny, if nothing else, that people get all up in arms about not being able to avoid spoilers because literally all you have to do is, like, not log in to social media for a day or two or, like, put some certain words on your block list. So I do not weep for any American who's, who's going to be outraged about seeing spoilers. That's why I said it's intriguing to me. Like, half of the fun is going to see film Twitter just burning itself to the ground but this has happened many times before uh, it hasn't happened to, in the sense that maybe you know a huge blockbuster has come out six right. months prior to you know in, the, in this case or three months whatever it's going to be with tenant I, I think it'll be more like a month or two based on what wb is saying but uh we saw last year with parasite that was an international hit through every film festival released in South Korea, much like Peninsula just did this past weekend, mm -hmm. to a huge box office number, and we didn't get any spoilers on the on film Twitter about Parasite, which was a, a huge movie. So, I don't know if we're gonna get them in our face. I do think there'll there'll be some trolls out there, and I wonder if the boredom factor. I wonder if yeah. the, the fact that we are so much more. Yeah, I don't inside, know, in. trapped. Yeah, we're trapped <laughs> into the social media right now. That That's a big ask from you to say that we can't, you know, be on social media for a day. So I, I wonder if people will purposely troll tenant spoilers just like you are, I guess. Well, and, and if anybody deserves to be trolled, it's, I guess, Americans who always kind of get these shows first most often. Anyway, uh, this is a very – somebody fired back and put Parasite as an example. I forget who the name was. I should have looked it up. But uh, – yeah, you're right. This has happened before. One, Parasite and Tenet are very different movies, uh, and Tenet alone is like the movie the world has been waiting for for various reasons. It's not We've never had this big of a blockbuster with this much anticipation behind it that's going to be released so much prior to when America's going to get their hands on it. Uh, this would be like if Avengers Endgame was released in China I mean, I, I, Avengers is bigger, obviously, but it's akin to if Endgame were to rele be released in China, like you said, a month or a month and a half prior to America getting their hands on it, I would think it's going to be quite prevalent online. I could be very wrong. It could just be a couple trolls, like you're saying. Who knows? Uh, but I, that's my expectation, and it's uh, for me, I'm, just, I'm, I'm excited to see the infighting. I don't know if it's the type of movie that can be totally spoiled on us, though. I mean, right, and Parasite it... couldn't. Now, you can't spoil Parasite, really. Right. So. You, can you spoil Inception, really? I mean, right. do, do you do you know what Inception was about? I still don't know. <laughs> right. What right. It's a was fair about. point. I've studied the hell out of it. Yeah, I think Avengers Endgame, Game of Thrones, stuff like that can be spoiled. But if Tenet is like a mind f, or it's like one of those puzzlers, it may not be spoilable or easily spoilable. I guess. Yeah, and that's and that's a very fair point. I think. And if it is that type of, thing, I, I don't. I don't know how to read it because all the only indication I've gotten from Nolan so far hasn't been about really the quality of content. It's just been about getting movie theaters back up and running. And that's kind of what happens in the back half of this episode today is what we're talking about. Christopher Nolan's uh, love of film and theater. And we're going to get more into that as this episode goes along. But so I, I, ha I mean, obviously, nobody has any idea what Tenet has in store for it. I, I'm I'm just if I'm basically have my popcorn already and I'm just waiting for the day that it gets announced to be released overseas and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think the first date people are looking at is early September when the Conjuring 3 moved off, you know, just uh to 2021 that happened. They're they're heading to June off of their early September. I think September 4th 
whatever it was. So maybe that will be Tennant's new home in this piecemeal release around the world, uh, and I hope around the U.S. I mean, that would be fun if, uh, if, if we can get it in Connecticut, but I don't know. It's probably wishful thinking, like we've been saying all pre-show. This is why we haven't done a ton of news stuff lately on this. We have, we talked about it early in the quarantine and throughout the quarantine, but it's kind of depressing. That's why we wanted to, you know, abstain from the rest of the news of the film world in a way <laughs> and do a fun top five that actually looks forward and looks hopefully at, and looks speculatively at the at the movie world i think so i'm happy for this top five we got yeah and that's kind of the concentration we're taking the idea of tenant and the idea of christopher nolan and we're extrapolating that and we like mike said we want to be a little more uplifting so we're going to do a top five christopher nolan wish list and we've used the word wish list a lot in these top fives and that's pretty much our default position when we don't know how to title something and this is going to be no <laughs> different because saying christopher nolan wish list is much more complex packed for when you see the episode title on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever than it is to say our top five films we wish Christopher Nolan would have directed or could have directed and we're including everything in that and that's exactly what this top five is. We have uh, films that either have already been made, that could be made, that might be in production, uh, maybe films that have never been thought about being made based on other source material, etc, etc. What are the five source materials right now that we most want to have seen Christopher Nolan take hold and control of, Michael? I definitely leaned more into the possible IPs, like the good the, the books that I've always wanted to be adapted, the short stories, etc., the TV shows that have never been done right, or the stories that I think he'd be good at that I've never seen done really well in a, in a movie theater before. So that, that that's kind of the way I took it. At first, I was like, yeah, X-Men Days of Future Past, but X-Men Days of Future Past is already good. I mean, so maybe not. And Watchmen's already okay. And I was thinking along those lines, but I think now I would like to see him do the stuff I've always dreamed of getting on the big screen. And if I can have a wish list to make that possible... This is the time. This is my chance. I think I think that's good too because I tried to do like books and stuff, and I was like, I don't read. This needs to stop. The only book I was going to pitch is like one I read in sixth grade that was my favorite, and I was like, I I can't do this to the listeners. Do so you have a wrestling storyline? No. This? So okay. look, here's here's just like a premise, and I tried to do this purposefully. I tried to not do what everybody expects would be on my list. So I stayed away from horror movies. Mm -hmm. I stayed away from Halloween and Scream. I purposely stayed away from wrestling content. Like, I tried to actually rack my brain and think of, like, five good properties, whether made already or not. And a lot of mine are made, and there's a couple surprises. The only one I'm married to is my number one. I think my number one would be a hit. I think I'm married to my number five most of all. Really? Okay. And I, I put it at number five because I'm embarrassed. Okay. Of myself, but well, with that yeah. setup, yeah, go ahead. Why don't you start us off? I'm excited to hear what's number All five. All right. Okay. Listen. All you guys know, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, mm-hmm. and uh, I know you're not happy about this because <laughs> I, I basically I wore you down about Game of Thrones. I think yes. during that whole time and how much I loved it, and then the whole film Twitter wore you down because of how popular it was. We all know you don't <laughs> like popular things. So correct. I'm getting it out of the way as my number five, but my favorite of the Game of Thrones stories, just as a pure 
uh, story lover is The Hedge Knight. This is a novella written by George R. R. Martin. It is part of the uh, A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms compilation uh, series that uh, Martin's put out about the characters of Dunk and Egg, Sir Duncan the Tall, and Eamon who I won't give away his last name, but he's a kid. It's basically a huge knight and a little kid, and they're on the road together. One is like a merchant, mercenary-type knight. He's a hedge knight, and he just basically is a knight for hire, and he gets caught up in all this palace intrigue involving the civil war at, at, in A Song of Ice and Fire, and this tournament where he falls in love with this side character, this woman, and he's just in the thick of this tournament where they're trying to assassinate all of these uh, these main players in Game of Thrones. So there's high-level intrigue. I think Christopher Nolan has been able to do that with all his spy thrillers up till now. Obviously, there's Britishness, because Game of Thrones is set in this <laughs> kind of Arthurian type of fantasy in many ways. Mm-hmm. So you got that. Where, that he can lean on and he can make a great, you know, Brit- you could put it put together a great British cast, let's just say. But I think he's made his career on suspense, and I'm going to come back to this time and again. He's built his career on on being a suspense director and on spectacle, and he's and he's made crowd pleasers doing so. So I think this would be a great property for him. So Tim Duncan here in The Little Eggman, this is like basically <laughs> a road to perdition, but Game of Thrones is the is the story. Yeah, but instead of, I mean, Road to Perdition, they're on the run. In this story, they're going towards a major event. They're on the hunt. A major gathering. They're on the hunt to do good in many ways. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, they're overmatched. It's one hell of a story. I, I would recommend, like, if you read anything Game of Thrones, listen to this short story. It's probably like an hour and a half. You know, or two hours, something like that. You'd, Who, you'd, you'd enjoy it. Who's playing Duncan the Eggman in uh, The Hedge Knight for you? In Christopher yeah. Nolan's Hedge Knight? I would love a shaved-headed Haley Joel Osment, but I, I know that's <laughs> no longer possible. But that you need a great child actor for that role. Okay. <laughs> but it's supposed to be like this this wimpy kid, but he's really wiry and he's and he's got all this spunk and he's got all this intelligence, but he's not like a physical kid or anything like that as the as Duncan Squire. And where in the timeline of Game of Thrones and the Song of Ice and Fire, where in the timeline is this story? I think it's like 100 years, 75 years before Game of Thrones. Oh wow! Okay, so it's kind of it's a prequel type thing. It's a prequel, and it's a great story, great prequel. Like this is the kind of prequel I want. You know, I don't need a prequel that has to so directly tie into the the main storyline. I like to go back a little further than that and just tell mm-hmm. a great story in the same world. And George R. R. Martin did that here. Gotcha. All right. So it makes sense. I think that's that's a logical also Mike pick. I'm going to be respectful and nice and kind about it. And I'm not going to go down the Game of Thrones, how I hate it, and it's boring to me road. I'm going to spare everyone that. You didn't watch enough of it to hate it. You really didn't. You I, I tried watching season one three times, and it wasn't happening, man. You tried to watch the very beginning and the very end. Yes. And the beauty of that series was the middle. And I get that. Like, in the middle, it's like, I get it. A dragon, a woman. Yeah, I'm good. I got it. 
boobies and dragons <laughs> and fighting. And I don't get what you really want in life if you don't want those things. But all right. What's your I, number five? I, I made a joke with Schmave the other day. I think it's he ruined dragons for me because he was so obsessed with them growing up when we, when we were growing up together. So this is Schmave's fault. Right. Exactly. It's just I can't do dragons anymore. I think I might be the only person in the world who hates dragons. Where? So. In the dragon universe, where you ruined, like you have these grudges, horses, dragons. <laughs> what? Why? Slowly but surely, I'll get through every animal with a grudge. <laughs> uh, I will say, your number five, I think, uh, is more inventive and creative and off base than mine. I mine's kind of the boring pick, but I think it's it's a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of people have kind of already linked Nolan to this type of thing already, and I just wanted to get it out of the way. So. I said any recent comic book movie which missed. Uh, Schmave suggested Green Lantern, which I would love to see, and I think that could be really well done if Nolan were to remake it, which I don't think he would have to go back in time and do. I think he can remake that. Uh, I also, I landed on X-Men Apocalypse in my head for this. Mm. Uh, One of the things that I think makes Nolan movies so impactful, uh, which really goes for any film, but it's something he aces, and it's very obvious and very simple, but he has everything just kind of make sense, and every character has an arc, and every act has a motivation and there are no loose ends by the time the credits roll unless they're supposed to be left loose and up to the viewer's imagination. That's clearly not been the case with the X-Men movies lately on a lot of those beats uh, and a lot of the badness kind of started after Days of Future Past which you kind of alluded to already. It might be a sin to see Nolan go fully into the superhero world without turning it into a gritty drama, but he's done grand epics before, and he's also made memorable, awful comic book bad guys before, and Apocalypse may be the most memorable X-Men baddie, and Oscar Isaac is certainly a more than well-enough-equipped actor to bring a life to that character that it deserved and it probably should have been memorable for and known for, and I think that was a big missed opportunity, uh, despite it being the best movie I've ever seen uh, while not sober. So... (laughs) I think there's enough there, especially with the source material. I would love to see a Nolan version of the X-Men. I would love to see Nolan do any kind of comic book movie, quite frankly. I think he can do more with a comic book movie than just make it a detective series. And I would like to see him try that. So I think the strength of his Dark Knight series are the villains. And you're right to say that, you know, the Apocalypse character, Oscar Isaac's character, is perhaps the weakest part of that movie. I mean, there's no real reasoning. There's no ethos behind what he wants to do other than that he's so powerful that he thinks he should be a god so of course he needs to have a team of bad guys and spend most of the movie getting his team ready so that they can fight the team of x-men it's really such a dumb storyline right and nolan spends most of his plots basically explaining the antagonism from the joker investigating yeah yeah he makes it unreliable uh, even you know the uh, character of Scarecrow, I, I loved that reveal. True. I loved, I loved uh, Batman Begins and why the Scarecrow had to be the villain for that that first film. And then uh, I, I think Bane was the hardest one to wrangle together, especially because it was supposed to be the Joker for many reasons, and Heath Ledger just didn't make it to that film. Right. 
if Apocalypse is as in- interesting as Bane, you have a much better movie. And I, I don't even think Bane is, is, is a great villain per se, but my God, Apocalypse was just like a G.I. Joe level villain. And don't get me wrong, I love G.I. Joe when I was growing up, <laughs> but it's just pure evil just because it's pure evil. Yeah, I, I think you, you hit it exactly on the nose in our understanding where I'm coming from with this. I think it's maybe a little cheap for me to suggest Nolan go back into the comic book thing. Uh, I... I, I I look at it more as like a sci-fi twinge, but I'll get more into the sci-fi angle uh, as we move on here. But yeah, I I think there's... I just feel bad about what happened with X-Men Apocalypse because I was so looking forward to it, and Christopher Nolan is just the GOAT. So it'd be nice to see it in his hands. But let's hear about your number four, Michael. So Christopher Nolan's done crime stories before with Memento and Insomnia, right? I mean, that's Mm kind of how he started his career with memento you're trying to piece together what the hell happened with insomnia it's more it's not a whodunit it's basically a cop versus killer movie and it's all about the suspense like i've been saying that's what he's a master of so to me one of the most intriguing true crime events of the last half century has been the unabomber and it's been the manhunt for the unabomber and there was a miniseries on Discovery in 2017 called Manhunt Unabomber. Uh, it starred nice. Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany is Ted Kaczynski. Carla Gugino, Avatar Sam Worthington was the protagonist, detector, consultant, uh, federal guy. And basically it's about them capturing the Unabomber. It was a terrible series that I hate watched from start to finish on oh, no. Netflix. It's terrible. It wasn't good? It wasn't good. But I had to watch it and I... I watched it despite of how bad it was because I just loved the subject and I wanted to know some ins and outs about the subject. I think if you put this in the hands of the one of the best filmmakers on the planet, I mean, my God, Nolan would convey Kaczynski, uh, a character like the Robin Williams character in, in Insomnia. Yeah. He would convey you know, Kaczynski making the case for his ideology just like all of his big bads have done in his uh, superhero films. Before, of course, having the heroes dismantle and be the you know opposition, not just in terms of physicality, but in terms of of uh, the arguments they're making, the literal arguments they're making. So he would lend that gravitas to this true crime story that I think would make for a huge movie. And he's done American mythology before. He's done American stories many times before. Working for WB as long as he's had in syncope, etc. Even though you know he does uh, stories about you know great britain and the, that history of late as well i do think this would be something that he could really sink his teeth in it'd be nice to compare it to like a, a zodiac too from fincher i mean seeing him actually take this piece of americana and take this true crime happening and turn it into this cinematic moment and like you just finished explaining when talking about uh, what he could do with the apocalypse character i mean getting into getting nolan's interpretation of the mind of ted kaczynski would be just a trip and a half and it'd be something quite memorable to see on screen no doubt uh, i didn't see the miniseries I, I know what you're talking about it intrigued me and it piqued my interest and i'm kind of upset to hear especially with the talent attached that uh it wasn't a hit so i think that's something that's perfect for this type of exercise take something that has been made and just kind of see throw nolan on it and see how it'd be better received i think that's great i just wish that series was better i I, like i said i i knew it was terrible from the very beginning of it but i had to watch the rest of it so imagine if it was in capable hands right yeah well that's kind of i mean that idea 
is exactly what I kind of went with, not only with my five, but more so with my four, too. And this is where I do delve a little deeper into Christopher Nolan's capabilities in the sci-fi territory. And I'm a sick man, uh, and I need help. So uh, I I pick Battlefield Earth or... (laughs) Or Dark Tower, uh, one of those two source materials. A lot of my final four picks have to do with testing the limits of Nolan's integrity and ability as one of the greatest American filmmakers of all time. So, like, with that in mind and going down this sci-fi road to start, my first thought was why not start that trend with one of the most beloved American franchises of all time and have him do the next Star Wars sequel. Again, I thought that may would be a little obvious. Uh, and while it would certainly produce its own type of Nolan WTF hysteria. I think having WB, which owns the Battlefield Earth uh, movie property, mm-hmm. give it, who's Nolan's worked with throughout his career, give this franchise to Nolan and strip the Travolta-ism away and strip the L. Ron Hubbardism away and the Scientology aspect away and more so just say, look, we want a story about humanity on the edge fighting against an alien race. We want a trilogy or a franchise out of it, and we're going to give it to Christopher Nolan to start. And he's going to have the first two or three films, however many he wants. And we're going to see, we're going to bank on Christopher Nolan taking this from whole cloth, taking this franchise and literally giving it life just to test the limits. And this actually reflects pretty well with another one on my list. Just to test the limits to see what Nolan can do and how that would be received, I think it'd be a fascinating case study. I have no doubt he'd knock it out of the park, uh, just based on what we already kind of talked about with his dealing with bad guys and dealing with uh, the the protagonist that's living on the edge here. I, 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 uh, I think it'd I, be a hit. I worry that it would test the limits of American audiences. And Yes! Wouldn't that be fascinating? Wouldn't that be crazy to see if he could actually get people in the theater for a Battlefield Earth remake? Like, you're throwing a half a pool cue into the middle of two guys and telling them to fight <laughs> for their lives right now. I don't think you're being a beneficial, uh, benevolent god in this case. A benevolent <laughs> no, cinema not. god. No, you're you're the devil here just hoping to stir up some shit because Scientology has so many issues associated with it. Again, I'm not a squirrel. I swear, I'm not a squirrel. Don't come after me. Don't film me or come across the street. <laughs> I've seen all the documentaries. I'm afraid of those people. But, I, look, I... Well, that's why I threw, I threw the Dark Tower series in there, too. I mean, it doesn't have... If, it, if it's too religious and too blah, I know people like the Dark Tower book series, and they were disappointed with how the movie turned out, which I can't blame them. So, I mean, that type of thing. It doesn't need to be tied to a religion. I just think having that title and that property knowing what we know it was in the early 2000s and how it turned out and the hysteria surrounding Scientology that it turned into this having this like ultimate ball of shit and basically saying Christopher can you do something with this title and make it presentable and watchable it'd just be fascinating I think to study what if like he made it all believable though like what if he succeeds that'd be crazy that would suck (laughs) what if he really succeeded like if aronofsky really succeeded with the noah story uh, i don't know if that's a great no you're right i didn't think of that that's that'd be be terrible you're right i can't wait he put those rock thank god thank god he put those rock people in there for some reason and then made the last one third of that movie about something other than what noah was really about (laughs) just basically just taking an archetypal old testament dilemma and making that the you know the the cathartic cathartic uh stretch of that film oh god i would 
fear for the world. The world, Mike, the world has had a, has been through enough right now. We don't need one of our best directors to take one of the most inflammatory properties just to amuse you, well, you sick mother effort. Here's, here's what I'll say to that. It gets worse on another entry in my list, but go ahead. Oh, no. Well, my number three is not going to sound as cool or as incendiary. Jesus Christ. Again, with my expletives here. But, Mike, I'm going to say the Terminator franchise. I love this. If I had a dream pick where nothing could have gone wrong, it's almost like if I could go back in time naked in a giant, you know, or send somebody back in time. If I could send somebody back in time naked Mm -hmm. in a ball of... I would send Christopher Nolan back <laughs> to make Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines and do a good job. This way, the Terminator franchise would have never gone off the rails the way it has because that film was a lazy remake of the first two that just did not live up to them at all. I would it was, agree. It was really frustrating. It wasn't a terrible movie, but it was the beginning of the end for the franchise. Salvation... Again, it had its moments that I really enjoyed. It had some awesome stuff in there. Really didn't work uh, overall. McGee, yeah, but you want Nolan taking the IP while it still has the most juice left in it to squeeze it. I, I think he would take it to another level, and he would try and push another story. And I think he, you have the core of what he's good at. He's great at suspense. I mean, if you just have you know the hunted and the hunter, Christopher Nolan will tell the shit out of that story. We just saw it in Dunkirk. And he, you know, he did it without even showing any of the Nazis, right? And mm. he made it the most suspenseful thing we've ever seen. Can yeah. you imagine if he had something as imposing as the Terminator to deal with? Or yeah. The, oh my God, the T one thousand or what was it called? T one thousand. I got to watch Terminator Two Judgment Day again. <laughs> yeah, that so being said, he can also handle Judgment Day, and I think he, you know, has done really well with world-ending situations in his huge epics. Uh, he could handle the Judgment Day spectacle uh, extremely well, again, using Dunkirk as, as an example, to have characters, the scared little, little rabbit character, just trying to survive Judgment Day. My God, would he tell this shit out of that story. So I think, you know, Nolan, as it's never going to happen, you know, but as a dream director of the Terminator franchise, I would say he's he's top in my list. Yeah, that kind of also just I, I didn't look at your list beforehand, so it's kind of funny how these laid out, but it does play in. I mean, so far we're talking about Nolan taking these borderline sci-fi properties for the most part that are blockbusters that have quite the you know they were either flops or they they haven't been made yet or something we kind of want to see from him uh and just putting his magic into them and that kind of played into the terminator is very similar to my number three which is i don't know if you're familiar with the starcraft series of games um but they yep they they are very very popular uh live action real-time rpg games uh uh, real-time strategy games i should say uh they were very, very popular. The first StarCraft game came out, I think, in 2001 or 2002, and it sold like one and a half million copies in its first year, and then went on to sell another 11 million copies on top of it, and StarCraft Two came out, I think, in 2014, I want to say, and made about five million copies between its first two years. So it's a wildly popular video game series, and at the heart of it, at least at StarCraft One, is a protagonist that becomes, that gets taken over and becomes basically an evil alien queen. Uh, hmm. I think that story alone, if you pitch that in and of itself to Nolan, I mean, there's three competing races. So, again, we're going back to the sci-fi battlefield Earth type idea. But 
StarCraft is a much more palatable series and a much more palatable IP that I think uh, has a ready-made audience built into it and hasn't been tried yet. We saw the Warcraft movie. There was some success. There was at least hype for that when it came out because they have the built-in audience. I think if you t- attach Christopher Nolan to this property, which is begging for a movie adaptation anyway, uh, I think just on those two things, and sometimes this practice just boils down to very, very wildly popular and a capable person taking very, very wildly popular franchise or property and watching him put their magic into it. And I think that's exactly what this would be. And I think that would do gangbusters at the box office, honestly. So he's dealt with unreliable narrators before. So if you're basically telling a story with an anti-hero who becomes the villain, he, he can handle that. And he's done a good job being very coy about his you know villain backstory right of course with the joker but he's he's also done a nice job just explaining after the fact how his villains came to be with uh, some of his other movies so i agree with you i think he'd do well with that i forgot to read my whole paragraph about time travel and the whole terminator franchise uh you know the reasoning that i had like he he would have this major moment where he put he could put a twist on the time travel aspect of it all is there any time traveling in the uh starcraft uh video game my brother's gonna get mad at me if i get this wrong i don't think so (laughs) (laughs) but i'm not entirely positive because it's been a while since i played through the game so don't hold it against me it's it definitely i'll say this as a cop-out answer because i'm an attorney if there's not it's easy to lend itself to that there's okay. easily you could easily insert that aspect into it. I would say. So every StarCraft fan was on our side. And yeah, yeah. No and longer. I just want to make sure I alienate them in one foul right. swoop and get them to turn off this episode. Yes, correct. We, we like to give surface level understandings <laughs> of things that will infuriate true fans as often as we can here at MMO. And I think we do a damn good job of it, honestly. <laughs> Speaking of surface level understandings, I'm going to talk about French film. Oh, nice. All right. For my number two, and I know that Christopher Nolan has certain feelings on remakes. I'm guessing, you know, he would not want to touch this movie because he loves it so much. Mm -hmm. Because he has shown Henri Clouseau. I'm just going to bastardize these (laughs) uh, names. Henri Clouseau's The Wages of Fear. He has shown this to his film crews before... Dunkirk, and I think he did it once before, but definitely before Dunkirk. The Wages of Fear, it's my second favorite Clouseau film. And if you don't know Clouseau, he is basically the French Hitchcock. They were contemporaries making suspense movies around the same time. The uh, the Devils, I believe. Diabolique. Diabolique, yeah. yeah. That's my favorite of his movies. But The Wages of Fear is basically this wartime movie where these guys are, you know, these soldiers are driving a truck full of explosives and they got to get through this desert before the truck full of explosives blow up. And they can't just like abandon the truck either because there's, I forget what's in the plot. uh, And they can't go on foot because they'll just die in the desert. So they have to get through the desert or whatever, wherever they are that is so hot with the contents of this truck intact and they're going over bumps mike if you're if you're uh, i'm smiling ear to ear right now if you're a cautious to... driver 
like this is the worst movie or the best movie. I don't know, but it's such a white knuckler. And, you know, Nolan at the peak of his powers right now would direct the living hell out of it. Even if he did like a spinoff, something like The Wages of Fear, I want to see Christopher Nolan's The Wages of Fear. Or yeah, that'd I be like. see The Wages of Fear again. <laughs> that'd be some sphincter tightening stuff, I think. It's basically do what you did in Dunkirk, but instead of the uh, horror of your getting shot down, have that shot down be what you have to carry around with you in the form of a bomb or explosives in the back of the truck. Uh, yeah, I could also, I could see him nailing that, as a matter of fact. I think and that's a great, great pick. Because the characters do nothing but, like, argue with each other, too. So it's just like, <laughs> what a, what an excellent movie that was. I think I've seen it twice, but it's been years. So going to have to watch The Wages of Fear again. Again, Mike, we're simpatico because my number two is... Along the lines, you don't think no one would want to do a remake. You know he wouldn't want to do a remake of such a beloved and hallowed property. Uh, and the way in which I introduced Battlefield Earth was basically as a way of setting up this number two. Because what I want to see from Christopher Nolan is a remake, which I know he would never do. And I just have a list of films here because, again, it's for my own perverse enjoyment and amusement. I want to see some hollow, holy Hollywood property that should never be remade be announced as being remade with Christopher Nolan at the helm. And The Wages of Fear is a good start. I was thinking, of course, of American cinema because I'm adult, and I, I thought The Princess Bride... I thought Jaws, and I thought Casablanca. Give me any one of those three with Christopher Nolan attached. I think the biggest degree of difficulty by far for Christopher Nolan's type of production would be The Princess Bride, but nonetheless, give me any one of those three with Christopher Nolan attached, and I just want to see... Basically, I just want to see the reaction on film Twitter. I just want to see how the news would be interpreted and accepted. So you, again, just want to throw... <laughs> shade at film twitter you want <laughs> are you really a troll at heart are yes you like, you're shrek, have i not made that obvious yet yeah you're, you're shrek but you're human he's an ogre but you're in human form right now controls turn back and forth i don't know my you know fairy tale favorite uh, <laughs> logic here but uh how do you i mean look if, if it came out tomorrow right that christopher nolan was going to remake jaws what would your gut reaction be? Oh, I'd be enraged. Would you like, and would you walk that back ever, knowing that it's Christopher Nolan, or would it just be this movie should never be touched? Or like, where does the where does the tension between that sh movie should never be remade, or this is a Christopher Nolan passion project and he really wants to do it? Where does one overtake the other? Well, I'm sure people would get mad at me for saying the wages of fear should. Yeah, should be I'm, I I agree. At the same time, but it's the same idea. My feeling on remakes are if you can truly reintroduce that great story to a new audience and it's not just this you know horrible money grab then it, then it's a good thing and in this case the wages of fear is just like a forgotten movie by so many people I agree. it should be in more mount rushmores in terms of suspense films and that's why i picked that one now Jaws is in a lot of Mount Rushmore's, but you wanted to pick that just for the stir, just for the yes. controversy, just for as the a, as a case blah. study, basically. Yeah. Oh my God, you have, you scare me. Like well, in, in well, another goes... life, in another world, you'd be like a villain. Like, if I if I had the capability, I'd be one in this life, but I don't. These are so. dastardly. Well, these are dastardly plans. It's it also it, it it's a commentary on the power of Nolan as well, because if we were doing like. 
I, I, I don't know, pick a director who isn't one of the greatest American directors of all time, right? Like, it's, the idea in my head is, what matters more to people? The intrigue by Christopher Nolan taking this because he's Christopher Nolan and you know he's going to do as great a job as anyone could possibly ever do on this type of thing? Or is the outrage going to win out? Is it just going to be, how dare you try to touch this property, Hollywood? What is wrong with you? And again, Christopher Nolan would never put himself in that situation and scenario, nor would his team allow him to, obviously. That's part of the fun of this as well. But I, I, those kind of thought exercises, when you have someone at such the peak of his powers, like you just said Nolan is, which I agree with, that's the type of stuff that just, those what-ifs get me going. I, the, the fascinating thing about this whole entire project is that it's more realistic than you'd think, because... Nolan obviously rebooted one of the biggest movie franchises of the new blockbuster era in Batman. Right. I mean, he True. took one of the most me memorable events of World War II for his homeland, and he, you know, paid tribute to that with Dunkirk. This man has not made one original movie after another, although he has made original IP where he's just gone into the. Uh, the writer's room and came up with stuff with him and his brother so it, it, it is possible that he would do the do something like this later in his career and because he kind of vacillates between these types of projects yeah I, I i think that's a great point one and two uh since i of course speak out of turn and you've brought it up a couple times to try try to course correct me i keep calling him an american director i mean for american cinema i know he's a british-born director that's my bad but i'm getting excited because i'm trying to oh. troll as many people as possible well he's a pillar in the american right. studio system right, right now to the point where <laughs> wb is considering releasing a movie of his in the middle of a pandemic and <laughs> you know because he said so because he wants to and they've been they've been really holding him you know with uh, kid gloves and trying to manage him with kid gloves gloves throughout this time otherwise they would have moved that to next summer right you know, six months Agreed. ago if, if, if colin trevorrow directed that movie no offense to colin trevorrow exactly he's made one of the biggest movies in the in the world a couple years back with the first jurassic world but i mean if if he was if colin trevorrow was behind tenant it, it would have been a 2022 2021 right. property easily i i agree 100 percent wholeheartedly but because he is an english-born man michael i think that makes your number one very fascinating all right I'm being a corporate shill here, even though we haven't really, you know, uh, incorporated our product quite yet. Mm -hmm. I want Christopher Nolan to do a James Bond film. I just can't help it. I, I tried not to put this on my list. This is your I best have, idea. I have to put this on my list. Now, Warner has a history with Bond knockoff films, and they would get mad at me for calling them Bond <laughs> knockoff films. We've gone over it in the James Bond character study. So this probably seems like the longest shot, but you and I were talking about how you know all these studio heads scream at each other and posturing and all the, the, the infighting with, with all these business practices in Hollywood before they actually come to the table and negotiate. Mm -hmm. You never know. I'm just saying, you never know. This is a wish list. Why can't I have a Christopher Nolan James Bond movie? I, per I personally think that his entire career is building up to perhaps the best James Bond film ever made, and it would come from Christopher Nolan. We've seen wow. Sam Mendes. Well, we've seen Sam Mendes had a lot of success, but if there's anyone built for this, I mean, he's handled the three-hour blockbuster so well before. I mean, The Dark Knight, to me, is one of the – it's on the Mount Rushmore of block, summer blockbusters. Yes, and unquestionably. The way he handled that franchise, the way he handles a good guy, bad guy movie, 
the way he handles suspense films, actioners, futuristic technology. Can you imagine a Bond movie with technology that would just blow your mind? I mean, Inception <laughs> level mind minds blown with with a Bond film and how I, cool that would be. I have an important question. So, as part of our James Bond character study, we okay. keep focusing on the one of the problems and the recurring problems of Bond over the years has been this string of forgettable bad guys. Right. Um, Never we, in a Christopher Nolan Bond Exactly. Movie. So who's playing, I don't care what the character is, who's Christopher Nolan's bad guy? Who's he making legendary in this role? I hope it would not be Kenneth Branagh. I wonder if it would be Kenneth Branagh, just again, because he's going to do such a great job in Tenet, I, I think, I hope. Look, Tom Hardy has been his bad guy before. He hasn't really repeated bad guys, though. No, he right? hasn't. So I, I don't know who he'd pick. I mean, he might pick Elizabeth Debicki as the bad guy, Ooh. or he might pick her. I mean, she again, she scares me walking into a room. She's got that presence. I mean, Viola so Davis tall. do that, too, yeah. She's imposing, but you, she could also be Bond. Like if she could pull off a, true, you know, she could be Jane Bond, and you know, I mean, whether it's Idris Elba, John Boyega, Vanessa Kirby, Elizabeth Debicki, like I said, or a more traditional Bond like Henry Cavill, Cillian Murphy, Tom Hardy, like what Christopher Nolan would do for the Bond franchise would be what Ryan Johnson did for Star Wars without enraging half of its fan base because Nolan films are just so well received by the masses. He has that Midas touch. He has that crowd pleasing ability. I, I truly, I truly believe he would knock it out. Out of the damn park. Yeah, I think that's uh, no question. And I think it's also the most realistic of any of the, well, certainly some what I've pitched, but I think it's the most realistic out of any of these that have been pitched so far in so far as you said, you think his career might be leading towards it. I wonder if he needs to make a break from WB, you know, and maybe that happens after the whole tenant thing doesn't go the way he wants it to go. I don't know yeah. how how long his deal with them is probably should have done some research on that. So maybe it, it's a hop, skip and a jump to get to MGM. I don't, I don't know how that, that could happen. Well, WB has also traded pr- uh, franchises yeah. previously uh, for Christopher Nolan. I mean, they made a deal to get interstellar uh, wow. in house in the first place. I, I forget what the IP was. They traded. I think I know it was a famous one. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's not something they haven't done before uh, to work with Christopher Nolan. So just throw that out there. I know that Christopher Nolan has basically been like anti-Bond with all his spy movie, big budget blockbuster conventions. He's talked about genre conventions, epic spy film conventions, and he's talked about going the opposite of Bond. But really, I think he would embrace the best of Bond and he would take it to another level and actually change up the story a little bit, kind of like, you know, Campbell did for uh, the beginning of the the new Daniel Craig stories and make a darker bond. He he would just knock it out of the park. He'd find the right balance. I I want a Christopher Nolan James Bond movie, Michael. Yeah, I co-sign 100% and I I absolutely agree with everything you pitch as far as how it would get handled. And again, we are in step because my number one, and this is the one I'm most married to, that I don't think has a shot in hell of ever happening, but if it did, I'd need to change multiple pairs of pants multiple days in a row. I think... What Nolan does best is dealing with espionage and walking the noir tightrope between action thriller and spy movie type slash investigatory movie. Uh, And there's a franchise, again, ready-made, wildly popular, 
that is built off of the idea of this twisting, turning story that plays itself out over multiple generations through multiple installments and sequels. That's one of the most bizarre and yet still satisfying stories, I think, in video game history to the point where the fifth chapter just came out a couple years ago and it made up for a video game. It made one hundred and seventy nine million dollars on its first day of release worldwide for a video game. Okay, so imagine what that can do in the box office. I'm talking about the Metal Gear Solid franchise, which has had five installments with Hideo Kojima at the helm. They just had a big falling out, so this could be a way for Konami to save themselves. But regardless, Metal Gear Solid is the espionage franchise. It is the spy thriller. The world is at stake. We have all these government secrets and these backdoor dealings type of uh, story that I think Nolan would revel and relish in. In the same way that Bond is pretty much ready built for him because of what we know Nolan does best, I think you could say the exact same things for this. The only difference is that this is a property that I know people attached to it in the video game world have been clamoring to see on the big screen Ever since Metal Gear Solid 1 came out for the PlayStation 1 back in like 1998, and since then they've had five Hideo Kojima helmed Metal Gear Solid franchises, or Metal Gear Solid video games, excuse me, going over the PlayStations 1, 2, 3, uh, and Metal Gear Solid 5 came out for the PS4 just a couple years ago. Since then, the basically owner, the guy who did everything for the Metal Gear Solid franchise, Hideo Kojima, like I said, had this ugly falling out with Konami, who owns the rights to the IP. Hideo Kojima made his own studio. Konami is stuck with Metal Gear Solid. They are doing a not great job with it. They tried making another Metal Gear game. It did not go well. I think this could be a way for them to save face if they work with WB and WB helms their best noir spy thriller guy to take control of it. So I'm looking through images as you're rambling on Metal Gear Solid because I'm not familiar with it. So I have a bunch of questions. Yes. Number one, is this uh, a game like the old James Bond Goldeneye where it's just like a two-player shoot-em-up? No. Or it's, it's a missions game? Okay. It's, a, it's, it's literally tactical espionage. The point of the game, you could play it any way you want. You can go through shooting everyone up, but the true heart of the game is to go around, sneaking around, getting government secrets and figuring out this grand Illuminati-type plot. Now, it seems like there's, like, one guy with a gun fighting a giant robot in one picture here. That's a lot of it, yes. (laughs) Okay, so that's, like, the end of every level? Uh, That's that's pretty much the end of every game. There's a different... Metal Metal Gear is this uh, nuclear warhead-blasting entity that the Founding Fathers are trying to get control of, and they're trying to frame other countries for attacking America, essentially. And then there's a billion other twists and turns and subplots along the way. So the technology involved, is is it all geared towards giant robots and taking over the planet? Or is it geared more like to just theoretical things like Inception and, and, and what Nolan likes to deal with, kind of? Like Tenant is going to mean, it's going to mean time travel, some kind of, you know, right. you know uh, retroactive thing about... Uh, about the clock. What I would say is that there is a mix of that in this because the the different 
sequels and the different franchises, like Metal Gear Solid 1 takes place in like 1998. I think it takes place in real time. Metal Gear Solid 2 was the sequel to 1. 3 what took place in the 1960s, so it was a prequel. Uh, mm-hmm. It was on the heels of the Vietnam War, during the Vietnam War. Metal Gear Solid 4 was after Metal Gear Solid 2. Metal Gear Solid 5 was before Metal Gear Solid 3 on the timeline. There's other games in between there, so it's this long, generation-spanning story. Oh, that's all right. So, all right. Next question, though, this is perhaps the most important one. Like, does Michael Caine have a role? Because <laughs> he has, he's he could be Q, he could be M. You know, give him a letter. And that's, that's, that is the most important question. I agree with this type of exercise. Uh, I don't think there's an easy answer to that. That I think about Metal Gear Solid. So we may have to do some uh, Martin Scorsese level uh, <laughs> youngening to his face to get him involved there. But we could find something for Michael Caine, sure. What if he just wants, you know, Netflix to give him, you know, a billion dollars to DH Michael Caine? I did, Metal Gear Solid. If it gets Metal Gear Solid on screen, sign me up. He, Michael Caine could be Solid Snake if he wants. I'm in. All right, but you're saying this has a good starting point for 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 a great story, but you're you're also saying that there's enough of it to where he can kind of pick and choose, like Batman. The, the amount of Batman comics, we went over it when we went over the Joker character study. The amount of Batman comics that he drew from, even though he kind of focused at the end of it, but he drew from all, all of them at first, right? Yeah, and, he, and it, it, it's Knight. analogous in that way, in two ways with Batman. One, he can play with whatever he wants in the Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid franchise, for one. But for two, in the way Batman badly needed saving, uh, Metal Gear Solid kind of badly needs somebody to helm the ship right now. Uh, Because it's just kind of this IP that's languishing in Konami Studios, and they don't really know what to do with it because Daddy kind of got kicked out of the the home, essentially, with Hideo Kojima leaving. Because Hideo Kojima was Metal Gear Solid. Uh, And then there was a big falling out with the Konami company. So in the way that the Batman movies had kind of reached their logical conclusion with the Joel Schumacher-type movies, and they needed a reboot badly, they needed somebody to step in and reinvigorate that franchise badly, that could be this, and yes, there is enough of a wealth of a source material within Metal Gear Solid, like there was within the Batman comics, for Nolan to play around with. Alright, final question. Do we have any intel that Jonathan Nolan is a gamer? Oh, that's a great question. Because if Jonathan Nolan's into it, you might have a chance. Well, I'll I'll say this. Like, you don't play video games. We've established that, right? But you have, I'm sure you've heard of Metal Gear Solid. Sure. Well, so I it didn't like immediately register, but once I started right. looking at it, I was like, oh, okay. It's it's it. in your ethos. You, you use your word from earlier. It's in your ethos, your lexicon. You're aware of it at least, and that's kind of why I think this might be better. I, I mean, you could argue StarCraft. What I talked about before has an even larger base, which it probably does. But I think the fans of Metal Gear Solid might be more hardcore. Uh, don't yell at me if that's not true. I'm just throwing that out there because I know people that are very very attached to both. But mm-hmm. I. I think there's enough here where if this were to be announced, even some fringe video game fans would be would have their interest peaked to the point of, wait a minute, I've heard of that before. I know Metal Gear Solid. Something's ringing in my brain about it. Let me go type it in and see what it is, and that can draw them in. But I'm feeling like, you know, the Nolan brothers want to get back and work together again. Like Westworld, you know, Jonathan Nolan's been doing TV lately, person of interest, Westworld. Uh, He's got a couple other things coming up. Are you saying I need to start sending Jonathan Nolan copies of my Metal Gear Solid games? Because I will do it. 
I'm not afraid of doing it. I'll do yeah, it. Yeah, you know what? I think if you really want to <laughs> make this I'll send happen. him every week. I'll send him either a Metal Gear Solid game, and then I'll follow it up with a Bond game or Bond uh, DVD, and we'll just send him for 34 weeks straight something in the mail. That would be a new level of influencing. <laughs> it would never work. We would be completely ignored. But hey, they would. You know, I don't know. The, on the off chance, it's like if you were given a video game. You never know. Like, just give it to him anonymous. We'd have to put a mystery behind it. But then again, we'd probably get arrested by the feds. Because <laughs> <laughs> you might think anthrax is in there or something. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> uh, guys, as always and obviously, what do you want to see Christopher Nolan most take control of? Whether it's something that can be rebooted, remade, something that was already out, or a brand new source material, or something you've had your eye on for a long time. Uh, we want to hear from you. That is half the fun of us doing these episodes in the first place. We want to hear what your input is, and you can leave us those, as well as any th- other thoughts, comments, questions, concerns that you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. You can reach us. We are Mike Mike and Oscar on Facebook, Mike Mike and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts, as we told you before. And if you would be so kind to leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be pretty cool of you. Michael, what are some words of wisdom and what is coming next? So it is wise not to send mysterious packages hard, to. Hard disagree. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying we're not going to be Mike, Mike, and Oscar anymore. We'll be Mike, Mike, and Kaczynski, Mike, Mike, and Unabomber, and we're locked up with him. Mike, Mike, and Kaczynski does have a certain charm to it. But look, I think it's wise not to fall into despair over all the news lately. That's why you know you and I have been doing some fun episodes, and we've been doing news episodes that are actually uplifting. So yes, MMOWORC, we haven't been doing as many of those lately. Those typically are our weekly shows, but it's just it's not in the cards right now. All that being said, I think we have a lot of pent-up movie reviewing to do. Like, you and I have both watched 15, 20 different things. Yeah. Probably like more like 25 things apiece. And it's just, we'll probably pick 15 apiece, maybe a dozen apiece to review in this What We're Watching episode that we're going to attack next. So I'll have a lot of new stuff. You've been uh, you've been hitting up the classics, Mike. Yeah, I've been so. watching a lot of old, uh, old black and white stuff. I just... Uh... What did I just watch the other day? Oh, Shadow of a Doubt from 1943. Oh, nice. Love that one with uh, Hitchcock. And, yeah, probably metaphors for a lot of creepier shit he did. But (laughs) uh, Oh, what's the guy's name who starred in that? He's terrific. Um, Anyway, you'll tell me tomorrow. You're going to do this to me, huh? All right. You'll tell me tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, But bottom line, stay tuned. We got some fun stuff in the works. I've prepped another Oscar Olympics episode. We don't know when we'll do that. We uh, we got some new movies coming out eventually, and we've been in serious talks, serious negotiations about a couple more series that we uh, you know have pitched before for you guys. You know, David Fincher series may happen. The Grudge List. We may give them all a try. I mean, I think they're they're worth uh, investigating. Or well, we may just keep sending random DVDs to <laughs> random screenwriters in Hollywood. Joseph Cotton is the man's name, Michael. He played Charlie Oakley. Joseph Cotton. Great actor. <laughs> as, I, as I always said. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies and listen to these countdowns. Hopefully uh, escape reality for a little bit with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See ya.